Until spring practice kicks off on March 7th, we're in a bit of a holding pattern for relevant OU football news. Sure, the recruiting services are putting in long hours as OU's 2020 recruiting class has been kicked into high gear. But because this isn't a recruiting show, we're not going to get too far into the weeds on that. Instead, I want to focus our attention on the NFL draft. No, I won't be talking about Kyler Murray hot takes. We'll have plenty of time to discuss that over the coming months. Instead, I want to touch on another Sooner from last season's draft class that was also steeped in controversy. And unlike Baker Mayfield, this player did not end up going number one overall in spite of all of the imagined knocks against him. And that player is Orlando Brown. If you recall, Brown had a historically dismal showing at the scouting combine. His testing numbers were near the bottom of the barrel in his position class, and he rarely showed the skill set that made him arguably Oklahoma's best offensive lineman of the last two decades. Because of the poor showing, Brown dropped from a presumed first-rounder all the way to the third round, 83rd overall to be exact. However, Brown played in all 16 games for the Baltimore Ravens this season, including starting the last 10 games. He was also a major cog in the Ravens' college-style power run game. And he also did not allow a sack in 342 pass-blocking snaps and was tied for 10th in Pro Football Focus's pass-blocking efficiency metric. Clearly, Orlando Brown is a good NFL player, as anyone in college who watched him surely is not surprised. Well, then why were NFL talent evaluators so cold on Brown as he entered the draft? Well, let's let Orlando Brown explain it here for you. Here's an entire tweet thread authored by Orlando Brown from February 25th as to why the offensive line position is so hard to evaluate. And I quote, The offensive line position isn't easy to evaluate. It's easy to turn to numbers because typically your best blockers are your best athletes. But in my opinion, it's simple. Offensive line is like a form of art. We all have different tools and abilities. While my game is played by manipulating angles and understanding where the quarterback will be in his drop, some get to a spot and react from there. The reason that the numbers in the scouting combine drills are so quote-unquote valuable is because they believe you have to be a quote-unquote athlete to react to counter moves and capture linebackers at the second level. In my short time of playing the position, I can tell you that understanding your body and angles is more important than your foot quickness. When drafting an offensive lineman, you'd think because he bends and moves a certain way, he'd be successful. But without the understanding of your abilities, you will get lost in the shuffle. I'm not the best bender, but I've got long arms. I understand that if a defender goes to dip, I use my length to help me recover. A lot of offensive linemen rely on their athleticism instead of developing a set of fundamentals you are confident in. What's more, the defensive linemen in football are only getting smarter. They recognize those that try to use athleticism solely to their advantage. With it being combine week, many evaluators will write off several offensive linemen because of his quote-unquote lack of athleticism. I'm here to tell you to pay attention to his film figure out how he manipulates his blocks based off of his tools, and don't count him out because he isn't a super athlete, end quote. Well said, Orlando. And here at West of Everest, Lee and I both said that whoever drafted Orlando Brown was getting a 10-year veteran who would be a dominant run blocker from day one. Seems like that was kind of flipped. Seems like he was a dominant pass blocker in his rookie season um, and just an adequate run blocker. But all you had to do 
was look at the tape, as Lee and I are so fond of saying. And it appears Orlando Brown is well on his way to a successful career in the NFL. And on top of his wisdom about the offensive line position, Orlando ended his tweet thread with these additional thoughts. Warning, an expletive is coming here. I quote, P.S. You should draft more pricks at the position. It's good for society to have them on a field and not at home. Now, judging by Brown's propensity for picking up personal fouls in college, it appears he believes this not just in theory, but in practice as well. We sure do miss you in Norman, Orlando Brown. Glad to see you've taken your awesomeness from college to the pros. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Second and five. Oklahoma just outside the FSU 10. Quentin Griffin, touchdown! Ten-yard draw play, and now the Sooners can smell it. Quentin Griffin welcomes us into the latest episode of West of Everest. Q's 10-yard touchdown run effectively clinched OU's national championship win over Florida State back in the Orange Bowl in January of 2001. The Sooners beat the Seminoles 13-2, winning the program's seventh national championship. Hey, everybody. I am Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the jump with the opening take. Many apologies for not having a show last week. I was sicker than I've been in years. Finally, I'm getting over the flu, and moving forward, I will definitely be getting the flu shot when those are offered up in the fall, and that'll be the last time in my life, hopefully, that I give the stiff arm to science. Coming up on the show today, Grant and I will count down the top five players we're most looking forward to seeing play in the new Alex Grinch defense. Plus, the NFL Combine begins this week. Eight Sooners were invited. That doesn't mean all eight will out. Doesn't mean that all eight will actually be out there in Indianapolis. Kyler Murray, though, will be out there. He'll be a huge draw. Which other Sooners are we excited to see work out? We'll talk about that. And which guys could potentially boost their draft stock? We'll jump into all of it. But first, let's bring back Grant. And the first thing I want to talk about today, Grant, briefly, is uh, when I was looking up information for the intro today, I knew I wanted to use that Quentin Griffin touchdown from the Orange Bowl. And I, I came across something that I had totally forgotten about and maybe I never even knew about. Oklahoma in that Orange Bowl against FSU was an 11-point underdog. Now, that game happened back when we were both pretty young and didn't know anything about Las Vegas spreads and the line, things like that. I always knew Oklahoma was a big underdog in that game, but I had no clue that it was as big as that, a double-digit dog. Did you, uh, did you know that? Yeah, of course I did. That's that's okay. one of the that's one of the few things I remember very clearly about that time. Uh, just about I mean how massive an underdog they were. In fact, actually if you would have quizzed me beforehand without even saying the figure, I probably would have guessed a higher number. I thought they were 14 or 15 point underdogs actually. Yeah, so for comparison's sake, o- OU was a 14 point dog to Bama in the Orange Bowl this year, which was incredible. Uh, and that wasn't a national title game, that was a semifinal playoff game. And Oklahoma did end up covering, kind of, or not kind of, they did. Uh, they covered the spread, but uh, Alabama was in control for most of the game, pretty much. But, uh, yeah, 11 points in the national title game, that's, I, you know, I, I don't know all the national title games that had huge spreads. I would guess that Ohio State-Miami game, like a year or two later, was probably a massive spread. 
Ooh, I kind of want to look that up now. And, and then Ohio State obviously got the upset in that game. So, uh, but I, you know, just whatever. Yeah, yeah, you can look that up while I kind of move on to the next thing. We can bring that back up later. So, um, all right, let's jump into it. No, uh, no time wasted today. Let's save all that NFL Combine stuff for later in the show since that'll be a segment about now former Sooners. Let's begin with current players that are still on the roster, and we're going to continue specifically talking about defensive players. You may remember the past three podcasts, we've gone over each level of the defense, starting with the defensive line, then the linebackers, and then the secondary players. And during all those podcasts, we've told you which players we're most excited to see play in Alex Grinch's new defensive scheme. Now it's time to consolidate all of that information into one final segment. Grant and I will count down the top five players we're most looking forward to seeing play in this new defense. We either think that these players that we're going to mention will benefit quite a bit from the new coaches or... We are just incredibly intrigued to see if these players' perceived talents can be unlocked under some new tutelage, or maybe a little bit of both. Who knows? Now, I don't know what Grant's list looks like, and he doesn't know what mine looks like either, so here's how we're going to do this. I'll start with my number five and explain why he's number five, and if Grant has that same player on his list, then Grant will say his ranking for that player and then explain why. And then Grant will go with his next guy, and we'll kind of adopt the same process throughout until we get to the end. So does that sound good, Grant? Sounds good to me, Lee. And also, uh, Miami was a 12-point favorite over Ohio State that season. One of actually uh, three BCS national title games that were double-digit favorites. Do you care to guess what the third one was? Hmm. Um. That's it's it's tough. I mean, that's that's like that's I think that's sixteen games that you kind of have to think back on. Was it really early in the BCS or kind of? No, or? it was late in the BCS. See, I know Auburn Oregon was a was a short number, so it wasn't. It that was that game. that one was that one was nearly a pick'em. That was yeah. That was Oregon by one. That was uh, one of the first. I think that might have been the first BCS title game I ever bet on. Okay, and I, I I got the. Uh, I won that one. I took the I took Auburn and I took the under and I parlayed it and won a million dollars. It was great. Yeah, I don't think you're uh, going to get this one, so I'll just say it. Uh, in the very last BCS title game of all time, Florida State was a ten point favorite over Auburn. Really? Um, yes. Oh, and so, God. which which makes sense at the time. I mean, you're I mean Auburn. I think had sort of a terrible loss that year. They were yeah. kind of your. They were actually a little more. Um, uh, they really looked a lot more like your kind of typical OU team where they were really explosive on offense and they gave up a lot of explosive plays on defense. They weren't great that year, so it sort of makes sense. Lee, I'm looking at other lines here from BCS title games, and some of these are interesting. Um, maybe the most interesting one in retrospect, actually, though, um, is probably the most painful. Uh, 2005 Orange Bowl, USC was only a one-point favorite over Oklahoma, and they ended up winning by 36 points. <laughs> yeah. I believe, um, gosh, I wonder, no, maybe I'm thinking of the OU-Florida game. I think the OU-Florida game, Florida was favored the whole time, but I remember the day of the game, people talking about how like money started coming out on OU, and then OU actually was favored, I think, at the start of that game, well, slightly. Per this, Florida was favored by five and a half. Oh, now, I, okay. I don't know if that's just the opening line or if that's a kickoff. or well, That seems I'm, really high to yeah, me. Seems that, really high to me. Yeah, it does. That does seem really high. 
Maybe I'm thinking of the OU USC game then, because that was such a short number. I think. I think that's you know, what you're thinking of because I I, I I specifically remember that game the morning of. I remember a lot of the talk at the game was how sort of like the betting momentum had like radically shifted to Oklahoma. Um, there there's a uh, there was a segment on Lee. Do you remember the, the the old morning show on ESPN, Cold Pizza? Do you remember that show? Yeah, the, as it, far as I know, that was the first. It preceded kind first of national. Take. I think that was kind of the first national uh, break that Skip Bayless got because I know he was a a Dallas based columnist forever. And but I, I I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I'm pretty sure that was the first time Skip Bayless was kind of like on the national stage. Yeah, and and I only I bring it up just because I specifically remember an NFL scout being on the morning of that game and. I, I only remember this because oh, what a of random memory. Yeah, well, I only remember this because of how the game turned out. Um, yeah. But he said that it had become kind of a consensus in the scouting uh, community that Oklahoma was going to win the game and win the game easily just because of how much talent that they had um, along their offensive line, all the skill talent that they had. Um, a lot of people forget because they lost by thirty six points that OU had a lot of first round picks on that team. <laughs> like, what a joke yeah. of a game that was. <laughs> Well, I think USC ended up having quite a bit of NFL talent as well. And yeah, and I, and I think, and yeah, in retrospect, that USC team is is probably one of the five best teams in the history of college football. Um, but I digress. Interesting Not game to mention for they sure. Had Pete Carroll as Pete Carroll's head coach back when Pete Carroll, obviously, he was a great college Although, coach. And I, yeah, I, I will say this, and I am this is this is an opinion that I hold very very strongly. Matt Leinert was a really overrated college quarterback. I don't remember that. I remember being an awesome college quarterback. Yeah, he, he was, just I I've gone back and watched some of his stuff. He he just he wasn't that great. He was he was certainly a guy who was elevated by the immense amount of talent around him. I'm not saying he was bad. He wasn't a bad helps. Like, but like I mean, but he was very clearly uh, not as talented as a lot of people made him out to be. The last thing on this, speaking of Liner, I just randomly had this memory. It might have been his first start ever at USC coming onto the scene. I don't know if that was the year they went on and beat. No, I think that might have been the year before they beat OU in the national title game. It might have been the year. I think it was probably the year whenever they ended up beating Michigan and they had got like the AP voted them as like national champs after the year, even though they weren't in the title game. I remember the first game that season. They went to Auburn and like beat Auburn, I think, pretty easily or pretty handily. And it was I just have a weird memory of that. Like, you know, USC going to SEC country and getting a win. Uh, and then they ended up being really good for the next couple of years after that. So I just have some random memory about that. And I also have memories of playing NCAA football, whatever the year that was, and playing that game. I remember uh, I, I, used yeah. to be, I used to be so salty that people considered USC like back-to-back national champions and stuff like that. That, you know, that always really used to rub me yeah. the wrong way. Now I don't really care at all because that that 2003 USD team was was very very clearly better than that LSU team that won. I mean that's like not even really debatable. So um, I don't know. Sure. This a really a really weird period of of college football history. Okay, well uh, with that let's get back to the topic at hand. I didn't anticipate us talking that much about old BCS stuff, but. Whatever that was, somewhat interesting, I suppose. Let's get back to these. Uh, well, let's let's start with the list, and I'm going to go first. And my number five player that I'm most looking forward to seeing in this defense slash will benefit the most from the coaching changes is middle linebacker Kenneth Murray. Here's why: 
Now, we all know Murray led Oklahoma in tackles a season ago. He's the man in the middle of this defense, which means he's got a lot of responsibility to be a leader on and off the field. And we've heard for two years about Murray's work ethic and his affinity for watching film, and that's great and all. And there's no reason to doubt his work ethic at all because, well, if you look at him, he's an Adonis out there. He's 6'2", 238, just chiseled muscle everywhere, athletic freak. But even though the numbers look good in 2018 for Kenneth Murray, I mean, look at an eye-popping 155 tackles last year. But I got to say, probably a bogus number because both Murray and Curtis Bolton each accumulated an outrageous amount of assisted tackles in 2018, which I think probably goosed their tackle numbers a bit. I actually went back and looked at other teams in the Big 12, the tackle numbers like Oklahoma State, uh, mainly Oklahoma State. I'm just curious. And like nobody else had anywhere near as many assisted tackles as those two players like in the conference. So the, the tackle numbers is a, a bit inflated, I think, there. Uh, but still, he led the team in tackles. That's something. Murray had 12 and a half tackles for loss. He had four sacks. Again, numbers that look pretty awesome. But you know, you eyeball test Kenneth Murray, and he just didn't look like he was even the best linebacker on his team, let alone in the conference. And in my opinion, it was Curtis Bolton at times as the best linebacker on OU, and at the end of the season, it was Caleb Kelly playing the best out of all the linebackers. So basically, I think Murray, he needs some guidance. And I know he's technically been playing out of position for the past two seasons, but he's experienced so many snaps and so many games now as the Mike backer that by now he should be a lot more comfortable, even though he doesn't really seem that that comfortable at times. You know, that position is always important in a defense. But I, I look back at the brief history of Alex Grinch being a defensive coordinator at Washington State. The middle linebacker for Alex Grinch was Washington State's best or maybe second best player on defense, and that was Peyton Pilar. Pilar didn't have the size or the same athleticism as Murray, yet he was Washington State's best linebacker, and only Hercules Mata'afa, the defensive lineman, rivaled him for Washington State's best defensive player. So I have no idea if Murray's going to turn into Oklahoma's best or second best defensive player in 2019, because he wasn't anywhere near that in 2018. But I think he has the abilities to do so, to be one of the best players on this defense, if not the best. And now he may have the scheme and he might have the coaching to kind of unlock those abilities. So we'll see. That's why Kenneth Murray is number five for me, Grant. Is Kenneth Murray on your top five list? Yes, he's number three on my list. Um, and so, Lee, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of coming at it from a little bit of a different angle than you are. Kenneth Murray is smack dab in the middle of my list, mostly just because I am really interested to see whether or not this guy's a player or not. Um, because, honestly, I don't think that we've gotten the full picture these last two years. I think everything is, is incomplete on him. Uh, just because there has been so much, there's there's been so much smoke and and so much weird stuff going on with the coaching staff. Um, he was kind of he was kind of uh, rushed into playing duty early on as a true freshman. He switched positions in fall camp early on as a true freshman. This guy's entire career has just been hectic, um, and so I'm hoping that uh, the new coaching staff comes in and hopefully can not necessarily light a fire under him because I I don't think motivation is an issue with him at all. That that clearly is not the case. Um, but I'm hoping that they help him kind of uh, make sure that the light comes on a little bit. And so more so than anything, Lee, I'm just interested to see what sort of leap that he takes as a player. This is his third season 
um, in this program now. And we don't know what position he's going to play. I think right now the safest thing to do is to assume that he's going to continue to play middle linebacker. Um, that's certainly going to be the position that it's easiest uh, for us to judge his hit the progress that he's made. Um, but other than that, I, I'm I'm really interested to see how they how they leverage his skill set, his athletic ability, and and most of all, Lee, we're really going to find out if Kenneth Murray this season whether or not he's any good. And I'm really intrigued to find out the answer to that question. Well, here's the thing about Kenneth Murray that I'm just going to. I'm basing off of his interview sessions, you know, covering him the last two years, social media, things like that. He doesn't have a confidence issue. He believes that he is one of the best players on the team, if not the Big 12, if not the nation. I know his his goals for himself are incredibly high. I mean, I know before last season he he had one of the goal one of his goals was to become an All-American to get a, a you know a certain amount of tackles and things like that. And of course, uh, you know, All-American didn't happen. I think he was either honorable mention or second team all big 12 uh, so he's a very confident player so like you said motivation's not an issue and yeah it, it it'd be nice to see all of that hunger and energy and talent kind of harnessed and like I said the word you know he needs, he needs some guidance he just I want him to look a lot more comfortable out there and I want to see him in the backfield a lot more comfortable with his reads getting off blocks and making some plays because I just Put it, let's ask this question. Let's talk about this. Outside of the first couple games, I remember against UCLA, maybe against FAU, he made some plays in the backfield that were like, oh, man, those are nice. But outside of that, I mean, can you recall many game, uh, not game changing, but just like maybe game breaking type plays, whether it be a tackle or a pass breakup or something that Kenneth Murray really did that that changed maybe the course of a drive or or a series in a game, I, I just I, nothing really jumps out of me with the exception of the first couple games of the year. What about you? Yeah, I was gonna say, outside Lee of the entire UCLA game, I, in terms of of making like a radical impact on the season, Kenneth Murray largely disappeared after that game the rest of the year. And Which I know is that's because he had so many tackles. You know, yeah, and like I know he, it's he being a, I know it's yeah. being harsh, but it, it's largely true. I just I. Um, in addition to, like I said numerous times, being by far the worst linebacker in coverage at the college level I've ever seen, uh, yeah, he completely disappeared after that UCLA game. So we'll see. So this I, is I'm, us, again, talking about Kenneth Murray. We're saying a lot of negative things about him, and I know he hears it. I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine he hears this podcast, but I know he hears criticism. I know he, he gets it, and, and he doesn't like it, I'm sure, and he wants to prove people wrong. And so the only thing that we can say here is, Prove us wrong. We said it last year going into the season. We want to be wrong because we, we really like you as a player. We want you to be good, and we want you to make the Oklahoma defense better. So, you know, if this is fuel, use it. Go for it. Shove it back in our face because we'd love to be wrong about you, Kenneth Murray. We'd love to have you have an All-American-type junior season. No doubt about it. Yeah, and then I, it's, it's really hard, Lee, for me not to think back on uh, just the linebackers that have come before Kenneth Murray – and a lot, I mean, this is not the, not the exact same coaching staff throughout all these years, but I'm just thinking about like Kenneth Murray did, but have come in as young players and started as, as a freshman or a redshirt freshman um, and, and stayed there throughout their entire careers. I'm thinking about guys like Travis Lewis, Dominique Alexander, um, uh, who's the, geez, I'm blanking right now, uh, Jordan Evans. These are guys who played a lot of football for Oklahoma Lee and just really never took giant leaps forward throughout their entire career and that's a trend at Oklahoma Lee especially with that just that needs to change it has to change um, for the last decade they just really haven't had any 
legitimately good linebackers outside of uh, half of a season from Corey Nelson in 2013. That's it. Yeah, it's just really on the defensive side of the ball. It's just it's been there's hasn't been much. I will say, uh, to, I guess maybe amend myself from a moment ago. You could argue that. Kenneth Murray, he did recover that fumble in Bedlam that was massive. He didn't cause the fumble, the, the Chuba Hubbard fumble, but he did recover that fumble. So that's, that is a play that, that was a game-breaking slash game-changing play. Granted, it, he was kind of Johnny on the spot. The ball was kind of there, and he recovered it. But to be fair, that is a play that, you know, in the box score, he had a fumble recovery. That was a big play. Yeah, I just I, – I really, really want Kenneth Murray to um, – just resolve to, to to really meet his expectations and get to the point where where I know he can be. I, I want Kenneth Murray to to I want him to be a good player so bad. I, I really do. He just he looks the part, and like I've said, I don't think anyone has ever looked better in their uniform. Maybe in the history of college football, <laughs> the the the, the skill set needs to kind of fall in line behind that. And hey, I, I think this is this is going to be good for him. This is a new start uh, with a new coaching staff. Um, and like I said, I'm just I'm really intrigued. I'm excited to see just what he looks like to see if there's a material difference in how he plays the game. And I think there's a pretty decent chance that that's going to happen. All right. So that was my number five. That was your number three. So now we're going to go over to you. So I guess for you, start at number five. Who is your uh, your fifth ranked player on this list? Lee, my number five is Parnell Motley. And actually, I'm just going to I'm actually going to say my number four because these guys are actually grouped in together. Um, so my number four is also Trey Norwood. And so I, I kind of and, I, and in a way that's kind of grouped with Kenneth Murray as well, because these are three guys. I'm just really excited to see what sort of step they have made. Um, and that's more so with Kenneth Murray, but also with with Motley and Norwood. I want to see where they are. Um, because I think these are guys that you can actually move around a lot and, and be creative with because they've done it throughout their careers. We know Trey, War uh, Trey Norwood was at safety the last two games of last season and, I mean, arguably performed better than he really ever has at corner at that position. So that's something certainly to keep in mind. And also, Lee, I just I, I cannot get um, the, the Parnell Motley we saw in the first half of 2017 out of my brain. He was just so good. Um, he was a guy that they really could lean on. And um, I, I really do think that maybe he was an option in the 2017 season to maybe see a little bit of a nickel role as well. We forget that Jordan Parker went down, you know, very first play or something like that uh, of the 2017 season. We never got to see what the Jordan Parker, Parnell Motley dynamic was going to be like with who was going to be the slot corner, who was going to be the outside corner and whatnot. So I, I think I think Motley in 2017 was a threat to play. Uh, that nickel position and actually be a, a really good player for them there. So I, and I've said it, I think numerous times over this offseason. I, I, I think Motley certainly could be a guy that Alex Grinch looks at at, at that nickel role. Um, and so Lee, you and I have talked about how we, we both kind of expect and or want the two starting corners to be uh, Trey Brown and, and Buki. To, to open the season against uh, Houston next year. And so, of course, that begs the question, what happens with, with Motley and Trey Norwood? I mean, those are the guys who have, who have started a vast majority of your games the last two seasons at corner. Mm -hmm. You're going to push those guys to the bench. Um, I just think that presents a lot of really interesting opportunities um, to discuss what they're going to do with the personnel. Uh, just, and, and those two guys, Norwood and Motley, those are your, 
your most experienced guys back there. So what's going to happen to them? Are they going to be relegated to the bench? Are they going to hang on to their, their corner spots? Is Norwood going to lock down one of those safety spots? I, I think there's lots of questions, which is why I'm really going to keep a very, very keen eye on these guys over the course of the spring. Interesting. And this is something that I'd like to know, and maybe we'll get a chance to ask Alex Grinch this in the spring or whenever he, his next media availability is going to be. I'm, in a cur- I'm curious to see how he and the rest of his coaching staff um, – comes in and evaluates players on the roster like is Alex Grinch going to sit down and just watch all the the game tape from last year and just kind of like look at each player or is he going to say hey Roy Manning I want you to take a look at all the corners yourself give me your thoughts I'll take a look at the safeties you know I'm curious to see because the reason I bring that up is you mentioned Parnell Motley and Trey Norwood have so many snaps I mean they started every single game this past year not to mention they played a lot in 2017 as well I mean there's a ton of tape there for Alex Grinch and Roy Manning to look at and basically decide are these guys good corners or not or uh, if the or do they have the skills can they tell on tape like oh maybe this doesn't look great but we can see it a little bit here that they have like maybe the technique's not there, but we can fix it, you know? Or is it, well, you know, look at Trey Norwood the last couple of games. Maybe he's a better safety because you know, that's – I'm kind of curious to see how they evaluate the team because I can't imagine they're not going to watch anything. I mean, obviously they're going to watch old tape and they're going to see it. Just like what tape are they going to watch? I mean, are they going to go back one year, two years, three years? I mean, are they going to look at all of it? I mean, I, you know, I don't know how that works if you're a defensive coordinator coming in. I mean, how much old tape do you look at – or do you not want to kind of be uh, swayed too much by the old tape and you actually want to come and just see them with your own two eyes live in practice, things like that, and then make your decision? I, so that's something that I'm curious to see what Grinch's philosophy is on that and what he wants his assistant coaches to do because uh, I think it's going to tell us a lot if, if, you know, if, if he comes in with a fresh mindset like, eh, I'm not going to watch a whole lot of tape. I just want to see what I have right now. You know, anything can happen uh, at, at that point. It's got to be a little bit of both. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I mean, these are football junkies. I can't imagine they're not going to watch a there's, bunch. Of- there's no way he's going to come in and not watch any tape of yeah. his defense at all from the last couple years. I, I mean, I, I, I got to think he's going to go back as far as he needs to. Probably he's going to go as far back as to when he's still got guys on the roster. Yeah, I'd uh, hope so. As far back, so I, mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to 2016. I mean, yeah. I, you know, why not? I mean, if you got all this time to do it, I mean, granted, I know that they're recruiting a lot and that's a huge part of it. But I mean, all this time between when he was hired and then when spring ball starts, I mean, he's got to know. He's got to know. And I know they have workouts and they're they're lifting and things like that. I'm not sure how much the coaches can actually be involved in that. I think it's more of the strength coach with Benny Wiley. But yeah, I mean, he, that's and, and that's got to be a fun thing as a new coach, right? I mean, going in there and just kind of seeing what you have. I mean, that's these guys love it. That's why they do it for a living. I mean, I think that would be really fun to go in and just check out and see what it looks like. And also, too, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he's watching back the tape and how poor Oklahoma is in a lot of ways defensively and just kind of just hear what he has to say, like, oh, man, what are they doing here? What was that gap? What was what was that player thinking? That would be interesting to, to see, too. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I would I would eat that crap up so hard. So, yeah, I think that'll be one of the next time Grinch talks and those guys, like, I, I want to ask him about that, like how – how was your evaluation process gone? How far back do you watch tape? Things like that. All right, so you kind of knocked out your number five, your number four, and your number three because of because uh, Kenneth Murray was mine. So I guess for me, I'm on to number four. And actually, Grant, uh, Norwood and Motley aren't on my list. So I don't have those guys on my list. 
So, uh, so nice. we'll, uh, we ha- we'll have more people to talk about. So I'll go on to my number four. And let's take in the secondary. My number four is Buki. And I've got him there, and it's simple. It's all about potential or perceived potential at this point. Yeah, we all know he was a five-star player coming out of high school. We were all super pumped for this guy because, frankly, the Oklahoma secondary needed a lot of help. Still does. Buki looked like a future star. He was a Norman for spring ball a year ago. He looked like maybe the best defensive player on the field during the spring game. Then we got to fall ball. We got to fall practice. Everything out of fall camp was that this guy was great, so far ahead of where he should be as a freshman. And unfortunately, it just never translated over onto the field during the regular season. You know, Early on in 2018, I think we saw some flashes of Buki's talent, but you know, it just... He just couldn't. He couldn't complete some of those plays. Yeah, I was gonna say he. I mean, he dropped a couple of picks. Picks that at least one of them would have gone for six. I believe the TCU game stands out, uh, or FAU as well. I believe there was one he could have gone for six, and then the tackling Grant. I mean, he would he would try to tackle everybody up high, which didn't work because of course he's a very small framed player. And it wasn't until very late in the year when I kind of saw Buki actually going low, trying to take out some legs, make tackles. But by then it was way too late. And eventually he was benched for the two most important games of the season, which is the Big 12 title game and then the Orange Bowl against Alabama. Alex Grinch is a safeties coach. He played safety in college. He knows what a good safety looks like. We're going to see if Grinch believes that Buki can be a good safety. And then if that's not the case, Hopefully, we get a chance to see Buki play his natural position at cornerback. And, I mean, let's be honest. We, we've talked about this before on the podcast. That's what all of us kind of want to see, right? We want to see Buki play corner because it'd be a massive shame if this five-star player in the secondary ends up being more of a bust than a hit. Buki needs to develop into a really good player because Oklahoma needs to start showing high school kids that the Sooners can turn defensive backs into NFL prospects, which has not been happening for a long time in my estimation. So that's that's my number four player, Buki Radley-Hiles. Grant, I assume Buki is on your list. Where is he? Lee, I believe Buki is number two on my list. I'm bringing it up right now just to make sure. And yes, he is number two on my list for pretty much every reason that you just laid out right there. I want to see the guy play corner. I watched the guy dominate way too many high-level high school receivers, guys who are at major programs right now. I've just seen him do that too many times on tape not to get the opportunity to do so in the Big 12. Put the guy at his natural position and let him eat. That, that's that's all I got to say about it. Yeah, it's just if he can't play corner, then then I don't know what to do with it. But I mean, he he looked really good. I know I said I've said it a million times on this podcast. I don't watch a lot of high school tape, but Buki was one of the exceptions I made because of all the hype he was getting. And the high school tape I watched was a guy that just looked like a dominant cornerback that was so comfortable. And he he looked that way also in the the, you know, the Army All American game going up against other five star type players. He had a really nice pass breakup in that game, and that's when he committed to Oklahoma. I mean, he he looked so comfortable there, and then he was out of his comfort zone for the entire 2018 season for the most part. So that guy needs to get into a spot where he's comfortable again. I know at the Orange Bowl when he was finally able to talk, because he didn't talk to the media all year long. Uh, I wasn't there, unfortunately, but I did hear that he had a lot of really great things to say. A lot, he kind of had a lot of self-reflection throughout the season. Sounds like he kind of maybe – not maybe I mean I'm sure he grew as a person 
He was humbled quite a bit. I mean, being benched at the end of the year in the biggest games, that'll do that to you. So, I mean, this guy's going to be hungry in 2019, and uh, that's why he's on both of our lists. He's a guy that we think has the potential to be very good. He just needs to kind of have – he needs to be shown the right thing, shown the right way, kind of like Kenneth Murray, in my opinion. So, since your list is almost – been done all we have for you now is your number one player let's i'll keep going with mine just we'll kind of keep yours to the end and and uh yeah. if uh you know something tells me that that your number one player will also be on my list the only question is where on my list will it be so i'll go down to number three so my third uh, player that i'm most looking forward to seeing what happens in this defense is caleb kelly is caleb kelly on your list caleb kelly is actually not on my list all right eh? let's talk about caleb kelly then uh, I'll start. We talked about Kelly quite a bit a couple of episodes ago when we discussed the linebackers more in depth. And I think we both kind of came to the conclusion that Kelly may be a great fit at that rush linebacker spot in Alex Grinch's defense. Does that sound like something that we discussed? Just on. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going crazy. Now, the question is, what does Kel- Caleb Kelly do best out there? You know, he's physical. He's got a lot of length. He's got those long arms, and he's strong enough to take on offensive linemen when asked to do. And the rush linebacker spot in Grinch's defense is a position that gets sacks and gets tackles for loss. I'm curious to see if Kelly is truly the perfect player for that position in Grinch's defense at Oklahoma. You look at the previous rush linebackers at Washington State during Grinch's tenure there. They're all kind of built similar to the way Kelly is built right now. But none of those guys were five-star players out of high school like Caleb Kelly. And I know we've talked a lot about, is Caleb Kelly a bust? And at this point, he's probably more of a bust than a hit, but he's still that five-star guy, and we've seen so many flashes, and he played very well at the end of last season. So, you know, I had, Caleb, uh, I had Kenneth Murray at five, and now I have, now have Caleb Kelly at three, a couple of linebackers. That's a position group that has been underachieving the past couple of years, and that absolutely needs to change. And like I said, Kelly was playing some of his best football at Oklahoma at the end of last season. So with better defensive guidance now coming in in 2019, I mean, his level of play, it needs to continue to rise. And I'm optimistic that it will. So, Grant, I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts on Caleb Kelly if you have any. Um, no, I think you did a pretty good job of kind of summarizing there. We've we've talked a lot of Caleb Kelly on this podcast in the last month or so. Um, sure have. But no, I, I agree. I, I think I think more so. I'm just interested to see where he's going to end up. Um, I agree that I think his most natural fit is at that rush linebacker position. Although I do think there is you know some competition at that position, but most notably from the likes of you know Jalen Redmond. Um, other others, I'm sure. I'm sure Isaiah Thomas will be. Yeah, just, w- might I've heard factor rumors that Redmond just may not might not ever get to play football again, though. I, I just. Who are, you, who are you hearing I just, this I remember, from? Though? Because I remember hearing. I just I saw rumors during the season, like whenever he they he, they he hung him up. Finally, it just it's it's such a with a you know blood clots. It's just a in my mind. I'll put it out there right now. I, in my mind, I don't anticipate Jalen Redmond being a factor. I just until just until you know we we learn if hopefully that that's like an issue that's not there anymore, and somehow he can be cured. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure if you can be cured from that. I just. Right now, and this is just either you know I've heard rumors and just a feeling. I just I don't anticipate him being a factor, and I have no inside information. Feel, I'm just sure. that's just a gut feeling on my part right now. I have similar feelings about Levi Draper. All right, um, yeah. So I, I and I'm just like I'm not I'm not saying it's the same thing or anything. I'm just saying like similarly to you, 
I sort of just have weird feelings about Levi Draper. I don't think he's ever going to be a factor. Sure, and this is a good time for us to, and people that listen to this podcast know this already, but again, I mean, the the most inside information I have is is stuff that I get from Dean, my boss, Dean. And, you know, and, and he obviously he knows Lincoln Riley. He knows Bob Stoops really well. And he know, I mean, he's been around Oklahoma's program forever. Uh, if I ever say th- anything on this podcast that I hear from Dean, I'll, I'll, I'll preface that. Uh, as far as that goes, a lot of this stuff we're talking about, especially right now, it's just kind of our opinions based on what we know about football and what we know about Alex Grinch, what we know about Oklahoma. And it's just we're they're kind of educated guesses. So uh, don't take it as we are. I mean, I, I feel like I and you, too, you know, we're we're not dummies when it comes to football. I, I feel confident in what I'm saying on this pod. Just want to make sure that everyone knows that this is not something where I'm hearing from a coach or I, this is just me basing off of what Alex Grinch has done in the past, what his defense has looked like, what he's done, what kind of players have been there and how that translates to Oklahoma. And so I just want to throw that out there and, and I'll, I'll let you add anything to that too. If you'd like, if not, we'll move on to the next number. Well done, Lee. I have nothing <laughs> okay. to add. So let's just recap the list right now. For me, my number five player is Kenneth Murray. Grant, your number five player was Parnell Motley. At number four for you was Trey Norwood. Number four for me was Buki. Number three for me was Caleb Kelly. Number three for you was Kenneth Murray. And number two for you was Buki. And now we're down to number two for me. And number two for me is the big man, Neville Gallimore. And I'll ask you, Grant, I'm going to guess Gallimore's your number one. Yeah, he is. I think he stands uh, the most to gain from this. I think um, if he's going to put it all together this year, that he's he's going to kind of play that Hercules Mata Afa role. Um, not the exact same position, but I think he's going to be the guy that they let loose, take the leash off of him and let him get in the backfield. So since he's your number one player, I know you just said something about him there for 20 seconds, but I'll let you I'll let you touch on Gallimore more since he's your number one guy and then I'll I'll kind of add my thoughts on Gallimore after you're done if you have anything else to say. Well, what have we heard about Neville Gallimore for, geez, now the five years he's been on campus? How much of a physical freak he is. He's incredibly athletic. He's a workout warrior. Um, he is now being married to a scheme that is theoretically going to take advantage of, all, of, of that entire skill set. Um, he's now going to be on a defensive front that has been unleashed. That's main goal is to attack and tackle guys in the backfield. Sounds to me like that fits what we've heard about Neville Gallimore perfectly. And so if all of that comes to fruition, I expect Neville Gallimore to have a monster season, health notwithstanding. All right, yeah, and this is a player that could easily be number one on my list as well because of all the things you said. Is His talent is immense. Uh, and, let's be, and, and let's be honest just from here. I mean, this, this is a guy who... I think when you when you look back at the 2018 season and you actually look at it clear-eyed, uh, very obviously and clearly the best OU defensive player in 2018. I don't even know if it's particularly close. Yeah, absolutely. The best player by far, I'd say, on the defense. And I'll use the, the, the main example I think you need to prove how valuable, how good he was on this Oklahoma defense is the Kansas game. He missed the Kansas game and Kansas put up 40 points and rushed for 1,000 yards in that game. And it, whenever he came back into the fold, Oklahoma's run defense wasn't elite, but it was fine. It was fine with him, and it was just so. It just showed how important he was when it came to stop. When it came to stopping the run, that I know I mean, Kansas was was 
just dominating that defense in that game. And that just that's kind of my easy uh, example of how important he was. And just another, not another, but just one kind of sidebar. Speaking of that Kansas game, one of the most annoying takes I heard from people, and it, it makes sense. Leading up to that Orange Bowl was, oh, that Oklahoma defense is terrible. I mean, look, Kansas put up forty on them. It's like, yeah, that's terrible. But if you knew the full story, and if Neville Gallimore was playing, Kansas would have not put up forty points. So just don't use that as an ex- as a reason. Just say that they're bad. Like. The Kansas game wasn't the main reason why Oklahoma's defense was bad. It was bad for a lot of other reasons. Using the Kansas game was kind of lazy. Anyways, uh, let's see. Yeah, you said a lot of stuff there. I, you know, I'm curious to see. Not my more more intrigued and pumped up actually to see his continued development under Calvin Thibodeau. Uh, now we'll see how he plays in a defensive system that is built around speed and quickness everywhere. And to t- just touch a little more specifically about you mentioned Hercules Mata'afa. You got Gallimore. He's big. He's also fast, and he's also twitchy, and not to mention he's incredibly strong. So just the idea of him stunting and then shifting up front just before the snap, confusing the offensive lineman, and then kind of swimming his way or overpowering his way into the backfield because he's going to go through an unexpected gap that an offensive lineman didn't quite see at the snap. I mean, just the thought of that is quite amazing to me. And we saw flashes of his abilities at times years ago, getting into the backfield, things like that. But this is an Oklahoma defense that rarely got into the backfield, from what I remember right. And Alex Grinch wants to take the fight to the offense and get into the backfield quite a bit. So, like, I, like I, I'm with you. I'm hoping that Gallimore is is kind of like a Hercules Mata'afa at Washington State. You know, Mata'afa was really good because he was really quick. But he was undersized, and he was an interior lineman. Well, Gallimore is really quick, but he's not undersized. He's very big. So... It's yeah. also worth mentioning they, they do play different positions. Mata Afa was the three tech defensive tackle, whereas Gallimore presumably is going to be the nose tackle. But I suppose we'll see when spring practice. Well, the, ma- the matter of which they get moved around so much before the snap, it, they'll know, get you, moved around. It's not yeah. it's not you're always married to that one gap, you know. So we'll we'll see how it goes. So yeah, I'm just I'm so intrigued by him. He was like you said, he's the best player last year. He could easily be the best player in, in 2019. I just hope that some other players grant on this Oklahoma defense challenge Neville Gallimore for the title of best defensive player because last year it was it was pretty cut and dry there was nobody else that was that close well I mean I over the course of the season I think you could have made arguments for different players like I thought there was there was certainly a a period of time where Curtis Bolton was the best player on the defense there's a period of time where you could make the argument that Trey Brown was the best player on the defense Um, I'm just saying overall when you look back at, at the totality of the season it's pretty easy to say that it was Gallimore if sure. you had to pick one person over the course of the season. Sure. Well, that brings us to my number one player, and I was kind of hoping this would be a bit of a surprise, which it will be because he's not on your list. And my number one player that I'm most looking forward to seeing compete in this Alex Grinch defense that I think will benefit a lot from this coaching change is Robert Barnes. And I've got Barnes number one because I think he could be the perfect player to play nickelback in Grinch's defense. And it sounds like you're you're more wanting to see Parnell Motley in that role and and based on oh this is going to cause a this is this is going to be a great discussion cuz I I just I could not disagree with you more <laughs> about this. So here's the here's my reasoning. What does a nickelback need to do? Pretty much everything. I mean, you got to be able to do it all. You got to be able to play man coverage, you got to be able to drop into coverage. You got to be able to blitz like a linebacker. You got to be able to come up and play the run like a linebacker. You've got to be able to do it all. And I think Barnes 
has the ability to do all of that. Plus, he's got size and length at 6'2", 207, which I like quite a bit. And Grant, I know that you're concerned about Barnes' ability to cover. And that's a fair criticism because just off the top of my head, I recall a play against West Virginia where Barnes looked just absolutely lost in coverage and it resulted in a bad pass interference call that extended a West Virginia drive late in that game where Oklahoma would have been able to get off the field and basically... That was on fourth down, I'm pretty sure, too. Yeah, it was. was He looked lost. That was a bad play. So here's my thing. Here's my reasoning. I hope that Grinch and Roy Manning come in and just overhaul the secondary and get back to the basics with every single player because... Frankly, every secondary player was incredibly inconsistent in coverage when Kerry Cooks was in charge of all the defensive backs. And now you've got two coaches in charge of the DBs, which the hope for me is that it leads to more detailed instruction, which then hopefully leads to more turned heads looking for the ball in coverage and fewer instances of Oklahoma's defensive backs looking lost. And when it comes to Barnes, he came into Oklahoma as a five-star player in at least one recruiting service. And I know injuries dogged him. Uh, as a senior in high school, it dogged him as a freshman. But in 2018, he started eight games. He had 54 tackles. He's one of the the many experienced guys in the secondary on this roster. And I think Barnes might have the most talent of anybody on this roster. And you look back at the Nickelbacks and Grinch's defense at Washington State, they're not quite as big as, as uh, Robert Barnes. For example, in 2017, a guy named Hunter Dale who was 5'10", 190, who's more built like a Parnell Motley for you, Grant. And then the year before that, there was a guy named Shalom Luani, who was six foot 205. So, you know, the weight about the same as Barnes, but he just, he wasn't as tall. You know, this goes back to what I said about 10 minutes ago about just how a lot of this is just our gut, our, our feeling, just what we know about football. For me, my gut's telling me that in February, Barnes can be a great option for Alex Grinch at the nickelback spot. But, Again, that's all it is. It's a gut feeling. I it just I we're gonna learn a lot more in spring ball, of course. And Robert Barnes is the number one player that I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses in this new system and under this new coaching staff. This is just a very this this is this is a very hot take. This is very, very hot. So um I, I just I, I don't agree. I don't I don't think he's got the coverage chops at all to play nickel in the big twelve. And frankly, I think you're kind of crazy for thinking that he does. Um, I, I Robert Barnes playing the nickel, going up, you know, having to cover wide receivers in the slot one on one, sounds just like a huge recipe for disaster to me. I'd love to be proved wrong, but I can name uh, a handful of guys off the top of my head. I think would be a better fit playing nickel than Robert Barnes. Uh, Parnell Motley being one. Uh, Delarian Turner Yell being another, Jordan Parker being another. Hell, even Ryan Jones, I would probably take over uh, over Robert Barnes at nickel at this point in time. Hmm. Um, yeah, I just this this one I, I don't really see, Lee. I don't really see where you're coming from on this one. I just I you know I I'll admit I'm I'm being uh, I'm infatuated with Barnes's size and his athleticism. I like the fact that he's a big dude, and I just. There's, there's got to be something there, and I just have this feeling that, you know, and this could translate to everybody else. So, like, I mean, if everybody ends up playing better coverage because maybe the the tutelage is better now, sure. I mean, that'll improve everybody, and, and maybe he's not the right guy. I just, he's my number one guy, and, I, and again, this is a gut feeling uh, about it right now. And and when I pitched this idea to you a month ago, 
I told you that my number one guy was going to probably be Robert Barnes. And even after all of the, the – it was close. I almost switched it to Gallimore. It was, it was very close to 1A, 1B, but slightly I put Robert Barnes in there just because I just I have a gut feeling. Uh, so with that, that concludes our discussion. Got- yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I just really think I, – I think even like one of the, the two freshmen that's coming in has a better chance to be at the nickel than Barnes does. The, uh, maybe not Jamal Morris, but I could definitely like, – I could envision Jeremiah Crudell being there more so over Robert Barnes. Um, yeah, yeah that, that's just me though. I, 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 I guess I understand where you're coming from. But if I mean, if we're gonna go on just like gut feelings, or can, can I throw out a gut feeling one? Here's one that I don't think this is probably the only place you're gonna hear this prediction. Not really a prediction, but I just something to keep an eye out for. Um, and it is—it's just a gut feeling. Watch out for Troy James on the defensive line, and that is a name that I don't think anyone has really brought up at all. I think that's probably a name that a lot of people. Maybe expect him to be processed or for him to move on from the program. I'm not operating from any sort of inside information. Um, just the information that we have available for us. We know that Alex Grinch likes kind of undersized, smaller defensive linemen, quicker guys. We also know that the offensive staff thought highly enough of Troy James, uh, presumably has his athleticism, to put him in, in some offensive short yardage packages, which tells me that he may have some pretty solid short area burst or agility or quickness um Hmm. and so knowing that i say watch out for someone like troy james uh on on the defensive line to make some sort of impact especially if this is a scheme that is predicated on shooting gaps with quickness and agility i don't know a guy who they think is good enough to to play offensive snaps as a blocker in short yardage situations in my eyes kind of fills that uh, that skill set that you're looking for in the defensive line so uh, that's just a name I think is a more realistic one to throw out as, as as a surprise player at a position, not necessarily someone like Robert Barnes, who I think would be playing just very, very much out of position. The Nickelback Lee in the Big 12 is, is basically a corner. Troy James will be entering his third year in the program. He redshirted in 2017, listed at 6'1", 304. Got good size, definitely. And, um, hmm, okay, it's definitely a name to look out for. Before we talk NFL Combine, I'd like to thank all of you all out there for your continued support of West of Everest, and I'd like to quickly highlight a recent iTunes review that we received because of uh, one of the listeners. He relates quite a bit to Grant and I because the listener said that they spent 20-plus years living in Minnesota, got a degree from the University of Minnesota like Grant did, and this listener also went to Oklahoma as an undergrad like I did and like Grant did for a year. And it's seemingly where his love of OU football comes from. Maybe he loved football, OU football before that. I, you know, I'm just basing this off of the review. But anyways, it's just it's great that you can relate to all the Minnesota stuff that we talk about. We try not to talk about Minnesota too much because I know the vast majority of listeners couldn't care less about that. But just wanted to say thank you for listening to the show, and we really appreciate it. And thanks for the five star review, Grant. Uh, did you see that review? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, love it. Means means a whole hell of a lot. Didn't anticipate it. like it's, a, it's, somebody that's lived in Minnesota for a long time to be like us and also like OU football. That was very something something that I did not anticipate. Yeah, and and this is this is something that I've always uh, pondered kind of throughout my entire life living in Minnesota. I haven't lived here my entire life. I've been here for for over fifteen years now, though. But I always wonder if I mean, if, is there anybody else in this state who is as as crazy about this this regional football team that I am? And and hopefully. 
uh, this guy is. And so I, it's certainly making me want to throw in like uh, like really kind of like under the radar sort of inside Minnesota jokes ju- just to play to this guy, <laughs> an audience of one. Yeah. Well, feel free. We'll see if I get, we'll see if I get the jokes, too, because, I mean, you've now you've now been there a lot longer than I have. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not really I'm not into the weather anymore, man. I, I don't want the cold. Forget that crap. I'm done. Yeah, it's not great, Bob. It's not great. So if you'd like to leave a, a rating or a review on iTunes or both, just lift up, lift up your phone to your podcast player, whatever it is, tap the five star rating and then tap that part where it says write a review. All right, let's talk about the Sooners participating in the NFL Combine. We got eight OU guys who were invited, but we do know that Marquise Brown's not going to participate because he had surgery on that foot that was bothering him. Uh, He had surgery last month, so he'll be recovering from that. So Marquise Brown, Grant, not going to participate. I don't know how much you want to talk about. Hey, can we can we talk for a second about how I like literally the day after it happened, I called that that what happened in the Big 12 championship game was a list Frank injury. You did? Yeah, I did. You can go back and listen to the tape. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what it was. List Frank surgery or whatever. And I think like after the game, after the Orange Bowl, I think Brown was quoted as saying something that was like a, it was like a, a pulled muscle or something in his foot or yeah I think a list Frank is like it's exactly I think it's like a a really small kind of like torn muscle on the top of your foot so okay yeah I mean and I've heard you know I've heard bad things about those injuries like they're pretty tough and he obviously was trying to fight through it so uh, I'm not sure what the timetable of recovery is but hopefully Marquise Brown will be good to go for when training camp begins in the fall or if, if not sooner if not for OTAs in May or whatever, depending on where he gets drafted. So, I mean, I don't know how much you want to talk about Marquise Brown. I mean, I I don't know how much this is going to affect his draft stock. I mean, he should be a first-round pick. He's an explosive player. I know he's a little undersized, but, I mean, the, his skill set fits what the NFL is kind of becoming. He's a deep threat. Uh, he can he can run all the different routes. He's a good route runner, really good route runner. Uh, yeah, and people are – yeah, people are – in all of the uh, the scouting reports I've read, a vast majority of, of scouts are, are comping him to Deshaun Jackson, um, hmm. which I, I guess I can see it from just a from a deep threat, small, fast guy perspective. But and I mean, in, in this NFL's game, I, th- I think he's he's much more like Tyreek Hill. But um, whatever, I, yeah. I suppose that's it's it's apples and oranges. Although Marquise Brown's not returning kicks and punts like Tyreek Hill did but you know whatever it doesn't matter uh you know I've seen some mock drafts having him go late first round I've seen one or two have him in the second round uh, I mean what well, we got time to to talk about this but I mean the main thing is that he's not going to be at the combine which is you know disappointing I'm sure for him and um you know we'll, we'll move on the, the next name that I want to talk about it, I was thinking about this the other day and what about Rodney Anderson Grant he's so he was invited to the combine I know he said back in I think November he came to he was in Norman talking and he did interviews. He said that he anticipated being good to go or ready to go for the combine. But do the math: the running backs are scheduled to work out this Friday. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday when it comes out, the 27th, Rodney Anderson scheduled to to do on-field workouts at the combine on Friday, March 1st, and that'll have been well under six months since he tore his ACL against UCLA and I think he had the surgery you know pretty soon after that maybe like a couple days after that so I mean he got the surgery done right away but I mean 
from what I know about ACL injuries, six months is like the bare minimum for recovery. Like if, if you're an elite athlete, like he is like six months is kind of like the earliest you can come back. I mean, this on-field workout grant on Saturday will be about five and a half months. I think since he injured his knee, I'm curious to see if Rodney Anderson is going to be available to do anything on the field, or if he's just going to participate in like the weightlifting and you know the the yeah. wonder lick and just stuff like that. Do you have any? Thing? I gotta i I gotta think he's got he's got an agent telling him don't don't do anything with your legs. I, I gotta yeah. think. Yeah, I just I just the, the thing that makes it interesting is that in November he talked about how he thought he'd be good to go for the combine. You know, I guess what in what capacity? What does that mean? You know, who knows? Like, he didn't really specify like, oh yeah, I'll be doing all these on field things. He didn't say anything like that, but that's one guy yeah, that I'm like, curious to see what happens with uh, this week. Yeah, and I know for a torn ACL, I know. I mean, uh, six months after, it's not it's not weird that he would be walking on it or running on it or anything like that. It's just, but he most certainly wouldn't be, uh, you know, full go. So. Yeah, it's guy would would it would it be crazy if he shows up and runs like a four four yeah. and just puts up crazy. It's like okay, this guy's. A freak. I mean, he might <laughs> he might run the forty. Because, I mean, if he's not having to cut, just running in a straight line, he may not be in any danger of, of tweaking anything or re-injuring himself. But, hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's worth it. That's the thing. The thing is with Rodney Anderson, his, his draft status stock will take a hit no matter what because of his health problems in college. I mean, he might just, like, straight up fail, like, pre-draft process health evaluations because of, what, three out of four seasons he had season-ending injuries at OU. So... It's just he'll he'll drop because of his health problems. But whoever gets him, whoever drafts Rodney Anderson, we'll put it this way: they're getting a first round talent running back, no doubt about it. The only question is, can he stay healthy? Right? I mean, that's I think I think yeah. that's a fair yeah. way to put it. I mean, if he stays healthy, I mean, he's going to be he's I I think he can certainly be a stud in the league if he if he's healthy, just because he he can do everything. I mean, he's he's a guy who who can catch the ball out of the backfield. And he can run between the tackles. He's I think people people kind of forgot because we didn't get to see another you know a, a full season with him. Just how how incredible that guy was in the second half of 2017. Um, really one of the best stretches for a running back um, I've ever seen in an OU uniform. He was he was incredible. So Rodney Anderson, we'll see what capacity if you know if any he he participates at the combine this week. How about the offensive lineman Grant? Four of Oklahoma's five starting linemen from last year. We'll be at the combine. Bobby Evans, Cody Ford, Drew Samia, and Ben Powers. I can't imagine any of these guys having uh, any sort of disastrous like Orlando Brown combine performances, where it just he in his draft stock his draft stock plummeted because of obviously the draft. And you talked about that or the combine. And you talked about that in your opening take. I mean, all four of these players are really good, and I mean, I, Samia and I think Powers were at the Senior Bowl, and I know they showed out really well at the Senior Bowl because yeah, because Ford and Evans weren't seniors this year. But I mean, all four of these guys, I I can't imagine any of them hurting their draft stock. And if anybody, I mean, I, I can see Cody Ford. I mean, elevating his stock. <laughs> no, this is. Oh, oh, I thought you were saying you could see him his draft stock being. Oh hurt. no, I was gonna say no. no this is. I have a feeling this is when the the tide is going to start to turn, and he's viewed as the obvious best offensive lineman in the draft after the combine this week. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't be surprised because I mean he's incredibly strong. And I also yeah. I, I I expect Bobby Evans to really improve his stock as well with his with his athleticism numbers. 
yeah, it's just all four of these guys are really great players, and I'm excited to see what happens. Let's see, I was pulling up before we started the uh, the rankings. Now, I got I don't know how much how many of you list not listen. How many of you know about the website called Walter Football? It's an okay site. It's a good draft site. A lot of prospects. I go there every once in a while. But they, I mean, they got readily available rankings for like every position in the draft. And so I was curious to see where they had all these OU offensive linemen. And so for offensive guards, they have Cody Ford as the number one guard in the draft, which should not be surprising. I'm looking to see where they got Ben Powers. They got Ben Powers down at 18. I, I can't imagine 16 other guards that are better than Ben Powers, though. I just, that No, that's that's ludicrous. I mean, I'm seeing... Uh, I could I could buy Samia, for sure. I could buy 16 guards being better than Samia. They got Samia at 27. So, and this was last updated uh, mid-February. Mid so, I mean, this is relatively you know, newly updated. So, they got Ford right where Ford needs to be, but the other guys, I f- they're probably a little low. Um, they also have Cody Ford on the tackle list, Grant, and they have Cody Ford as the third-rated tackle. Behind uh, Jonah Williams and who else? Behind not even oh Risner? no, they got him behind a guy named Jawan Taylor out of Florida. Okay, get that crap and out of here. Greg Little from Ole Miss. So mm, okay, and for Ole Miss, for Greg Little's write up, the first sentence is Little put together a decent 2018 season. <laughs> I mean, okay, like oh, but he was a five star, like number two player in the in the country coming out of high school. So boom, put him in the first round as an offensive lineman. Yeah, so I guess you know take. Take these rankings for what's worth. They got Bobby Evans all the way down at 20 on their list. It says that Evans was an okay college blocker, but when I spoke to team sources, they weren't high on him for the NFL. What? Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see. They saw Evans as more of a third-day pick, even though he had received some projections of going in the top half of the, the draft. All right. Well, you know, Bobby Evans was the guy that we thought was going to be the the next slam dunk first round offensive lineman well, i was gonna say there were also uh in 2017 there were coaches in the big 12 who were saying that he was the best offensive lineman in the big 12 that's that's over, right i remember that over orlando brown so i i mean i don't know who this guy's talking to but i i, I think when people start to put on his tape at right tackle josh mcquishan <laughs> at sooner scoop has said this too then the nfl draft love is going to come back for bobby evans so that's uh those are all all four of those guys We'll we'll keep track of their uh, their combines. Then we you know we, we talked Rodney Anderson, we talked Marquise Brown. The only other two players left, Austin Seibert. You know, hey, you know Austin Seibert can end up being heck. I mean, he can do it both. He can punt and kick. I mean, he's got you know I I can see him being more of a punter in the NFL than a kicker. But I mean, this is a guy. I don't know if he'll get drafted, but he'll get a shot, and we'll we'll probably see Austin Seibert doing one or the other on Sundays for at least a small portion of time, if not more. Uh, he's, you know what, Austin. Uh, Austin Seibert was was a pretty valuable player on the team for for four. I mean, he he did both for four years. That's that's fairly significant. I don't think he made one big time kick in his career at OU. Did he? That you can think of? Uh, I mean, I thought there was some. I mean, I, I, big time, time. I mean, there was some like there was some quote unquote big kicks he made to like extend leads when they needed to happen, but. Um, yeah. 
I, can't, I off the top of my head, I can't think of really any kicks that he made that, like, I definitely didn't like won the game or tied the game when it was close, like late in the game or anything. Yeah, like it doesn't that. help that he missed that that chip shot against Army at all. I, mean, I was gonna say yeah, the best, the, the the biggest, the biggest field goal of his career up to that point was against Army, and he missed it. So, yeah. so I mean, oh he, man, I can see him being more of a punter than a kicker. I mean, he. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with Austin Seibert. But obviously, the main guy that that not just us will be watching for but i mean everybody i mean nationally is kyler murray and now grant i gotta give you some credit here the uh, last time we talked about kyler murray we were going over all the you know the pros and cons and you know both you and i were talking about how it's so dumb to talk about his height his height's not a problem but you said that the thing you're most concerned about is kind of his size like his his uh his thickness you know his ability to maybe take a hit and it seems his size is his size as it relates to injury right and yeah. it seems like that narrative has been a big talking point for the past couple of weeks. So that's kind of been the new the, the, the new thing. The height thing still comes up, but I feel like it doesn't come up as much. Uh, apparently, Murray now is at 206. I think that was what uh, Peter King reported. I know that Murray was in Norman on Saturday, and I believe he said at that time he was at 205. So, you know, whatever, 205, 206, about the same thing. So I suppose that's significant. I mean, he's not not going to be 225 230 kind of like you know baker mayfield was but i mean for a guy of his size kyler murray is i mean he's he's skinny but at the same time he's not i mean he's he hits the weights he's strong dude uh he's just got a small frame he's yeah. a small guy yeah but i mean that's kind of been the talking point uh the, the thing that i kind of that i'm concerned about just in the short term right now is he's not sure if he's going to throw at the combine, and I, I hope he does because I I don't see it as anything for him to lose. I mean, he's really good at throwing, so go throw. The your only competition, Kyler, is Dwayne Haskins. That's it. He's going to throw, and Kyler's a better thrower than Dwayne Haskins. He is. So I like if you're good at it, go do it. And if you look look back to last season, Baker threw at the combine. Like all the main guys threw at the combine last year, except for Sam Darnold, which I thought was a, a bizarre decision. And then Darnold ended up throwing at his pro day, which I'm sure if if Murray decides not to throw at the combine, he'll he'll throw at his pro day in, in a contained environment in Norman, which will be a couple weeks after the combine. But I mean, go out there and, and compete. I mean, you're a guy that you've committed to football long term. Now you're at a combine. You're going to meet all of these NFL front office people. You're going to meet a lot of coaches. They, it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but I heard uh, some NFL pundits say this in the last week, and I think it's a pretty good take. I mean, you have some NFL executives and stuff like that that probably still aren't 100% sure that you're committed to football, which is a – you shouldn't think that. I mean, he's definitely going to play football. But just in case there's some people that aren't sure about it, you know, if you don't throw, that could get in their head like, ah, I don't know, like, why isn't he going to compete? Why isn't he going to throw at the combine? Does he even really want to be here? Like, don't give them any reason to doubt you. Go out there and show them that you're really good at it. And so I hope he throws. What do you think? Yeah, I think you should throw, especially because Haskins is throwing. Go, go compete with him. He's he's it's you and him. <clears throat> and I don't understand um, as a competitor why you wouldn't want to go out there and and go up against Haskins. So I, I think you should go and throw for sure. So I just we'll see. I mean, it, hopefully he does. I, last I heard, we're recording this. Tuesday, February 26th. Last I heard, he's still unsure about it. So, uh, But let's, let's move on to talk more Kyler. 
have you seen these props they have for his height? They have props out there, gambling odds for how tall will he be? And I saw one for what will his forty time be? So I thought, hey, let's just do a little, uh, let's do a little game. Let's play a little over under here. So the prop I saw for his height is, will he be over or under five foot ten? And the favorite is under five ten at minus three hundred, and over five foot ten is plus two hundred. And I think a big reason why the the favorite is under is because Mike Houck, the SID for OU, came out and tweeted a, a month or two ago, whenever that was, and tweeted some, something like, before the twenty eighteen season when Oklahoma measured Kyler in socks, he was at five nine and I think seven eighths, so just short of five ten. So that's probably why. So the question is, you know, how accurate was that and or has Kyler Murray grown at all in the last six to seven months? <laughs> so, Grant, if you had to make a bet over or under five foot ten, what would you take? Under. See, I would actually take a uh, right. So you think he's so you think he's under five ten? Well, in all likelihood, yeah, I think I think five nine and seven eighth is probably a little is probably a little overinflated. See, I actually I actually take the over. Because I just have this this memory of last year, people you know doubting Baker's height, and Baker came in at almost six one, and people weren't even sure if he was six feet tall. So I just have this feeling that's going to be the same thing. Like everyone's doubting Murray, and then he'll come in at at over five foot ten, and I'll be like, oh God, do you remember how freaking stupid that was? Didn't didn't Baker come in at like six feet and seven eighth inches? It was six, it was like seven eighth or three quarter. I mean, it was pretty close to six one. Basically six one, and like ugh, that whole. Th- that entire so, narrative yeah. was just so tiresome last year. So it may be a, a dumb way to reason, but just based off of last year in Baker and how he ended up being taller than everyone thought he was, I'm going to go ahead and I'd, I'd bet that Kyler will end up being taller than everyone thinks he is too. I mean, I've, I've st- stood next to him. You know, he stood next to other guys. I, I mean, yeah, he's not tall, but he's not, he's not really a midget. I mean, I guess for, by NFL standards, he's a midget, sure. But uh, I mean, under five, he's small. Under five ten is. He looks small in the college game. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I would take the over though. I think even though there's not a whole lot of value there at plus two hundred, just two to one. How about the forty yard dash? I hope he runs the forty. I don't know why he wouldn't. I mean, I know Lamar Jackson last year did not want to run the forty at the combine, which was idiotic. It's like, dude, you're fast. Show them that you're fast. This is. I, I I don't think he should. I think this would be a mistake if he ran the forty. Because everyone already thinks he's like a he's like a sub four four guy, and if he doesn't, and I I think it's probably really unlikely that he would run a su- a sub four four. So don't do it. Just don't do it. Yeah, I disagree with that. Same thing. Unless you're reasoning with unless, the, the throw. It's I mean if you're, if you're and, fast. And, unless he's been practicing, unless he's been training, and he's been replicating under four four like consistently, I wouldn't do it otherwise yeah. either way i mean you look at the tape just just do it i mean if, if you're fast you're fast the number that they got out that's, there is four points that's the one part of his gamely that's not that's not a question everyone knows he's fast so yeah. why why put a number to it well i think that hurt lamar jackson last year because here's the thing no it didn't he went in the first round i, I mean he wasn't he wasn't even projected as a first round yeah, he pick. Was. no he I wasn't by who I, I remember him being projected as a first round pick and, and he could have jumped up even far, uh, further in the draft if somebody knew how fast he was. I mean, I it just I know that people thought he was fast, but it's just like that was his main thing. I mean, no, everyone knew he was fast. Every, like the the concern with Lamar Jackson was whether or not he could complete forward passes. Yeah, I, I just I'm 
I remember I listened to uh, on the Colin Cowherd podcast stream. There's a guy named John Middlecoff. He's a NFL scout. And I listened to his podcast a lot. And he was talking about Lamar Jackson. I remember at the time and then recently. And for him, I mean, he's an old NFL scout. And his reasoning for why Lamar should have ran is that at the draft, there's so many executives and these scouts that they just are so enamored with speed that they'll just fall in love with a guy because of their physical attributes. And then therefore you might jump up even higher in the draft stock. So that's why I thought it was a bad God, idea. I, I, I'm not saying it's, that's the right way to think. Yeah, I know that that's me. Just that's just like these people don't realize that there's tape that exists of these people <laughs> yeah. that you can look at their speed. You don't like the fact that the fact that a number like kind of piques these guys' interests and not them like the stuff that they put on tape and what they've done on the field is so weird to me. Yeah. It's just like what a loser mentality. There's it's 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 no no coincidence at all that it was Al Davis who was notorious for doing that for all the years and he was an awful awful owner and and general manager. <laughs> so, it's 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 not a it's this 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 line of thinking is is pretty consistent with with failing franchises. So real quick, the over under for his 40 time is 4.37 seconds and the favorite is over. So so slower than that. I, you know, I guess I don't know what I would bet here. I'd probably stay away. I, don't, I have no idea what he's going to run. Actually, no, I would probably say under just because. Like, why not? I'd like to, you know, it's too bad Marquise Brown's not running because they, you can't compare both 40 times because they were always supposed to race and they never did. Or there was always like jokes about how, hey, Kyler won't race Marquise or the other way around. I can't remember. Um, my theory is that I've, I've my always theory thought- is that Kyler would beat Marquise Brown in a race, though. Oh, really? I, I, I think I think Marquise is is, is faster. Than Kyler. Here's my but. reasoning. You get a 40 yard dash. Kyler is a baseball player. He's used to going from zero to 60 ceiling bases. So I think he's more comfortable going from a stopping position to full speed quicker than Marquise Brown is. That's my, even though I'm sure Marquise Brown probably at one point ran track just because he's so darn fast and tracks a spring sport. So that's, I remember been in high school, a lot of, a lot of my football teammates ran track in the, They're, in the spring. They're both fast. So. I, I mean, it kind of just is what it is. They're they're both really fast. I would probably lean towards the over, just because it's it's very very rare for there to be someone uh, under four four. It just doesn't happen very often. It, it happens, you know, usually like two or three times per combine. So we'll we'll see if Kyler's one of them. I don't know if he even runs, which he shouldn't. <laughs> John Ross ran a four two two at the combine in twenty seventeen. How's that working out for him? <laughs> yeah, John Ross is just, I think he had like one catch his rookie year or something like that. It was, he just, he was a huge bust. Uh, so, I, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's another thing I just don't, I mean, John Ross was picked like, like 30 picks ahead of DD Westbrook. Like, just come on. Like, who, what, what, what kind of football are these people watching? Yeah, I don't know. DD Westbrook was so good. He was that one. He was incredible. The last and really, it was it was actually just like seventy five percent of a season because he didn't really. He he was he was kind of hurt in the first like four games of that year too. And he's he's done well so far in the NFL. Just imagine if he had yeah he's been a better quarterback for the ball. I mean, he's he's the best, if not the second best wide receiver on Jacksonville at this point. I I think he's the best on Jacksonville. To be honest with you, he is the best. Yeah, in in my opinion, yeah. Um, but you were just kind of ripping on kind of the weird the thought process behind the NFL draft and scouts and you know speed and 
you know, since the last thing I want to talk about here is, and you, you may be at the lunch on this because you don't, you not know. Before we started this, I had to listen to uh, Joe Clatt was apparently on the herd on Tuesday. Did you happen to hear the herd today? No. Uh, well, sh- well, I guess I'll give you the the, the spark notes. Uh, they talked about Kyler Murray the entire time, and Joe Clatt's thing was he's annoyed by all these old school NFL thought processes about like oh you got to be super tall at quarterback blah 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 and basically saying like Kyler Murray's definitely the best quarterback in this draft and like he, he said basically he's saying all the same things that we've been saying like Dwayne Haskins is also very good but Kyler Murray's better and that's it it's just those two guys and that's it and it was just funny listening to how like Cowherd was just like oh come on like what are you talking about like all these things like that, that these old school like you, what do you mean height doesn't matter and like size doesn't matter and Joe Klatt was just trying to like talk some sense into him and then the best part of the discussion is and you can listen to it later i advise all of you to go check it out i, I saw on twitter I, I retweeted it on twitter uh just the just the clip version audio so you don't have to go through the whole show they get to the part where they're talking about mike vick michael vick and Klatt says well kyler murray is a coming out of college kyler murray is a much better passer and runner than michael vick was coming out of college and both colin and then joy taylor his her his like co-hosts are like oh come on what what are you talking about like are you kidding me like that's not even really an argument of course kyler murray is better at a better passer and runner than michael vick comes out of, out of college now like you, you know he's a much better passer like, like, like not even really yeah so close. i went and looked it up michael vick complete in two years at vatek because i guess he was only there for two years he completed 56 percent of his passes so the passing thing isn't even a, a question mark like it's not even not even a discussion now running okay you could, that's an argument because obviously michael vick is an elite runner but i mean coming out of college i mean kyle murray so he is as well. So like it's just so the, the fact that they were like both of those people like Cowherd and then the other co-host Joy Taylor was like t- couldn't believe Clatt was saying this like he was just crazy. It just shows like they don't really know what they're talking about. Like they haven't really seen much of Kyler Murray at all. Which it goes back to like that's a lot of people last year with Baker Mayfield. They didn't watch a lot of Baker Mayfield. They just have these preconceived notions and they're just wrong. Now, I prefer Baker over Kyler just because I think Baker's a better quarterback, but that doesn't mean Kyler Murray is not a really good quarterback. The the main criticism I have with Kyler Murray right now, is, as I've said before, is experience. He only has one full year of starting. And then I think you have a good point about his his size, like his his thickness. I think that's a fair fair thought. But I think he's very yeah, good if at you're avoiding going hits, to- though. So I think it, it, it's not as big of a deal as it could be. Yeah, if you're going to be spending a top ten draft pick on him, presumably, you know you're investing a lot of money for him to be the quarterback of your future. I think it's a completely fair thing to worry about, um, you know, whether or not this, if this guy takes a massive blindside hit, if he's going to be out for the season. I, I, think that's a, I think that's a very fair concern to have. I don't necessarily think that that should, um, that should be your, the only thing you're thinking about with Kyler Murray, but um, if you're trying to decide whether or not you're, you're worried about his height or anything like that, that, Above anything else, it's just whether or not once a big 350-pound defensive lineman blindsides him or lays on him for a certain amount of time, is he going to be able to get up? Is he going to be hurt? That That's really my only concern with him. Uh, like, only large concern. Let's just put it this way. I'm just going to double-check here. Michael Vick. So Michael Vick was the, the number one overall pick in the 2001 NFL Draft, Grant. Taken number one overall. Mike Vick listed at six feet tall, 
216. So he's the number one pick. I mean, Kyler Murray is going to be at very worst two two inches and in change shorter than Mike Vick and maybe about 10 pounds lighter. But Kyler Murray coming out of college is so much better than Michael Vick was. And this is this is 18 years later. So it's if if he was the number one pick Mike Vick was at only six feet two sixteen, I there shouldn't be that many questions about Kyler Murray being I mean let alone a first round pick let a first a top ten pick, and he should be the the first quarterback taken in this draft. He just that's again that's our opinion, but it's just I I, I didn't realize Michael Vick was that kind of build. I mean. I feel like he should be discussed a lot more when talked about Kyler Murray because Kyler Murray coming out of college is better than Mike Vick. So, like, yeah, I mean, not even their 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 college, I guess, really, because Kyler only played one season and Vick played uh, two. The one season that Kyler Murray had is it's it's not even comparable to Michael Vick, like at all. Like, it's Kyler is is so far and ahead. What was such a a much better college player than Michael Vick ever was? It's not even really remotely close. All right, well. That's all I got on Kyler today. And by the way, Kyler is scheduled to do on-field workouts on Saturday. That's when quarterbacks are supposed to do it. So hopefully Kyler will go ahead and throw and, and go up against Dwayne Haskins. The best part of the combine last year was when Baker was thrown up against Rosen and, and Josh Allen and, and not Darnold because Darnold didn't do it um, and those other guys. So Lamar Jackson, things like that. So that was fun. Uh, that's all I have today, Grant. Do you have any last thoughts? Nope. All righty. Well, that's our show for now. The plan is to be back next week to discuss everything that went down at the NFL Combine, plus, of course, anything else that happens in the world of OU football in the next seven days or so. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.